Amen. Does anybody know what today is? <laughs> yep. Praise him. Sometimes I feel like every Wednesday is Leadership Wednesday. <laughs> but uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And uh, if you turn to Galatians chapter 3, we'll hit a few high points. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Hey, guess who's here, y'all? Reverend Missy, would you please stand? Give her a Stone Point welcome. Good to see you. I completely forgot. You'd have been preaching tonight, and I'd have been sitting watching you. You slipped in under the radar, didn't you? Uh, Praise the Lord. It's good to see you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, so that they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are the works of the law and under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, <clears throat> we see where the Bible says that God counted him righteous. In other words, he wasn't uh, right standing with God by his own accord or by his own abilities, yet God counted him that way. Um, I, I mentioned in a demonstration uh, that when I was working as a bank teller, one of my first jobs I worked at uh, Wilmington Trust, and, and as a bank teller, they teach you how to count money. And we learned to never look at the numbers on the corners of the money, because in that time they had a little scam that they would do where they'd cut all the numbers off and they would take those numbers and tape it uh, or adhesive it to a actual one dollar bill but they would put 20s in the corner and so because the initial 20 wasn't damaged beyond 70 percent you could take that initial 20 back and they would give you a brand new 20 and then if you put in a a bunch of 20s with a bunch of these phony bills uh, you would obviously be able to redeem those as well. And so you ended up being able to pretty much double, if not triple, your money if you played it correctly. So we were taught to, to count by looking at the pictures 
and knowing which picture was on which bill. So <clears throat> the point of that is to say that that's the way we counted it. That doesn't mean that that's what in fact it was. That's just how we counted it. And so when the Bible says that God counted him righteous, it means that the way he perceived him, the way he marked him, was he counted him as if he might have been a $1 bill. But in God's eyes, he was a 20. So when everyone else looked at him, he did not appear to be in the standing that God saw him, but God counted him that way. And when God counted it that way, that's when the Bible talks about counted all joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. See, when you count it all joy, it may not be joyful. It may be a bad situation in the natural. It may be a struggle in the natural. It may be a problem in the natural. But the Bible tells you to count it as if it was joy. And so when you deal with it, you deal with it as if it is joy, even though the rest of the world wants to know what's wrong with you. Don't you know the problems you're dealing with? Don't you know the circumstance you're in? Are you just being crazy? Are you just in denial? No, I counted it as joy. It might not have been joy, but I counted it that way. It might not have been a good situation, but I counted it that way. It might not have worked the way I wanted it to, but I counted it that way. So when it says that he counted him as righteous, it was the expression of God's desire towards him, not necessarily an indication of who he was, naturally. So then when the Bible says that, <clears throat> that he has been, or that we have been redeemed from the curse of law, and he says, so that what? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon well, we are typically pretty aware of what the curse of the law is. Curse of the law is natural uh, and spiritual death. It is poverty and lack, and it is sickness and disease. And so the Bible says you've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Deuteronomy 28 gives you all of the diseases and all of the ills that come with being in violation of the law. And so sickness and disease, poverty and lack, and eternal death have been conquered because you have been redeemed from the curse of the law. And this is what he's trying to explain. He's trying to lay it out to help you to understand that because God counted him righteous, the law doesn't apply. Because he who keeps the law has to die by the law. And he says, so you can't keep the law in, in its form, you have to access it by faith. So then, when Christ died on the cross for you, he didn't hangeth on a tree. Christ died on the cross for you so that you can be redeemed from death, sickness and disease, poverty and lack. Right? But nobody seems to talk about so that. In other words, this is what I be redeemed from. But can we talk about what we've been redeemed to? And so if we've been taken out of death, eternal death, we've been taken out of sickness and disease, we've been taken out of poverty and lack, then what did he put us in? If he pulled us out of one, then he has to put us into another. And he says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that 
they might receive the promise of the Spirit through what? So then this is not Abraham's blessing. This is the same blessing that God put on Abraham is now on you. So then if God counted him righteous and he accessed it by faith, then you're going to have to access everything you desire by faith. In other words, people think that these things are going to fall on them like ripe cherries off of a tree, and that's not the case. People think that, you know, well, if God wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. You didn't get your salvation that way. Your salvation did not come because God dropped it in your lap and said, hey, look, salvation. You had to lay hold of, you had to make a confession to, you had to believe your way in to your salvation. And in the same way, if you want to operate in the curse, you can. And God will allow you to operate under the curse. Never being an indication of his desire towards you, never being an indication of what he desires for you, but you can op- operate there by a lack of operating through faith or a lack of being in the blessing. And to recognize what that is to bring to your life. And so in verse 8 where it says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So then that means God has preached the gospel to Abraham, right? And we've covered this before. In other words, we talked about how God, the Bible says God preached the gospel to the Israelites. He preached the gospel to Abraham. Well, I thought the gospel was limited to the salvation offered by Jesus Christ. So how are we preaching the gospel before Christ got here? I need you to see this. Because the gospel is the good news. And that's why the Bible says, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away, I came to fulfill. In other words, the good news, when he told it to the Israelites, was you can have a place of your own. You don't have to be in bondage. What was Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'll prosper you. Let's look at Genesis 12 real quick, just so we can have a quick reference and we'll keep it moving. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now, Lord, son of Abram, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from the father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great. And thou shalt what? Notice how he said, I will... Bless thee, I will make your name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Notice he didn't say, you shall be a blessing, then I'll make your name. See, this is one of those places where people struggle when it comes to the concept of of prosperity or prospering. They're like, well, you know, do I need five houses? You probably don't. But how does God call you to give one to somebody if you don't already have it? No, I I need you to really see that. Do I need five cars? Probably not. But how is God going to send you to go get a cult that no man has ridden if you didn't have one in the first place? 
See, when people don't, they don't process the understanding that it, there, there's a group of people, not everybody feels this way, but there's a group of people who really believe in their heart. They want to be available for God. When he says, I need you to do this, they want to be in position to do it. He says, I need you to give this. They want to be in a position to do it. If, I, if God says, I need you to have a cult ready, and so when Jesus calls for it, he'll come, send somebody to get it. And when they come to get it, they'll come and say, hey, uh, you're supposed to have a cult that no man has ever ridden before. Uh, Jesus needs it. And you don't want to be that person to go, well, I only bought one. Because I thought one was enough. Nobody asked you to think. What, what God is asking you to do is to be available for kingdom purposes. When, when they said, go find the man with the pitcher in his hand, and when you find him, he will lead you to the room and tell him the master have need for the room so we can have the Passover. Well, what if the man with the pitcher in his hand wasn't there because you don't think you needed a servant? So I don't need a maid. I don't need anybody to clean my house. I don't need to hire anybody. That's first. How do we find the man with the pitcher in his hand? See, I, I want you to begin to recognize that what he's trying to get us to understand is not so much what you've been redeemed from, but what you've been redeemed to. And when you think about what you've been redeemed to, you begin to handle things very differently. I don't care about what people criticize in terms of prosperity. You can criticize all you want to. You can stay under the curse. You can be sick, you can be poor, and then you can die and miss it all. I don't care. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to be available that if God says, I need you to pay somebody's mortgage, I'm cutting checks like you wouldn't believe because I have the ability that God has increased me to a place where I'm able to do that. Because when you believe, you receive according to the level you believe. And this is where people don't understand because they don't get it. They think God, if God wanted me to be all these things, he would just make it happen. Well, I, I don't see that anywhere scripturally. So what's the good news? <laughs> Real quick. Uh, was it Luke 4, 18? I believe it is. Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me. Anointing is an empowerment, right? To preach the what? Which is the good news, right? So what gospel? The gospel. Not a gospel, the gospel. What gospel could that be? The same one preached to Abraham. The same one preached to the Israelites. The same one we preach today. To the poor, right? What's the gospel to the poor? Well, I thought it was the gospel of salvation. I thought it was just, you know, we could tell the poor you can be saved. No, the, see, salvation is the gospel to the lost. The gospel to the poor is you don't have to be poor anymore. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. What's the gospel to the brokenhearted? You can be healed. What's the gospel to the captives? You can be delivered. What's the gospel to the blind? Remember when the man said, I don't, I don't know how this all happened? He said, all I can tell you is this. I used to be blind, now I can see. <laughs> That's the gospel. So, so then, when we say full gospel... Right? Because that's one of those things where people say, you know, are you a full gospel church? 
Okay, that's like saying, that's like me going to a restaurant and ordering my dinner and then saying, oh, don't bring it all to me. Go ahead and, and pay for it. Right? Because Jesus is going to go ahead and pay for all of it. But I, don't bring me the whole thing. Just bring me a piece of it. The piece I'm willing to believe. Are you seeing it? So then he says, Recovering sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. And then the last thing he says is to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable season, not just a year, a calendar year, but the season, acceptable season of the Lord. That's salvation. That you've been accepted by God and that there's no longer enmity between you and him. But why do we got five or six sentences prior to that or statements prior to that of what the gospel is? But you only want a piece. So if you don't want it all, can I have it? And can I have it without your criticism? Can I have it without your commentary? Because it's obvious you are unable. Um, we're, we're Hebrews 4, 1. I think that's where we left off. Hebrews 4, 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering into his rest still holds, and uh, amplified, classic. Therefore, while the promise of entering into his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid <clears throat> to distrust it, lest any man should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. For indeed, we have had the... <clears throat> we have had the... The gospel of... Proclaimed to us just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when, they, when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with, with the leaning of the entire personality on the absolute trust and confidence in God and in his wisdom, his power, his goodness. By those who heard it, neither were they united in faith with the ones, Joshua and Caleb, who heard and did believe. So then faith comes by. And hearing by the word of God. But they heard it. So then, listen. So that means you can hear the gospel. You can hear it preached over and over and over again. And it still doesn't benefit you. Because you refuse to mix it with faith. The same faith that's required of every one of us to operate in. And then this is why some people can receive and some people won't. You can have a room full of people and certain people in the room will be walking in manifestations of their blessings over and over and over and over. And there'll be some that get so jealous. Why is so-and-so getting it? Why is so-and-so? And it's like, well, they're just pastor's pet. They don't know him, so they're just, they're just his pet. And really what it is is you're dishonorable. Because you still haven't learned how important honor is. 
when, when the woman with, um, the Shunammite woman, uh, she saw Elijah, she spotted him, she said, or Elisha rather, she said, uh, you know, we should do something for him. She went to her husband, he said, let's build him a, a house, and so she built him a chamber, put everything he needed in the chamber. Next time he came by, she said, look, we built you a place here uh, that every time you come through town, you, you can stay here and we'll take care of you. So they're sitting around talking, feet up, relaxing, drinking a cup of coffee. Now, I don't know what they're doing, but him and his assistant are sitting there. And Gehazi, and, and he says to Gehazi, he says, um, she's been very careful for us. In other words, she's been careful, full of care honor. He says, what do you suppose we could do for her? And his servant said, she doesn't have a kid. God didn't say it. He didn't pray and petition and call down heaven. He says, okay, let's, let's bring her in here. So she comes and stands in the doorway. He says, you want me to talk to the governor for you? She says, no, I dwell among my own people. She goes, I'm good. I don't need you to talk. I don't need no favor from the governor. Says, How about a kid? She says, don't play with me. <laughs> See, obviously, that was the thing. I want you to pay attention. So he spoke that out of his office. And when he spoke it out of his office, he said, this time next year, you'll have a child. And she did. That didn't come by the unction of God. That came because they had a conversation. Uh, you, you have to begin to see it. Because what you need to learn is when you start being around people who are dishonorable, you can start to tell their lack of honor. It shows up in their giving. It shows up in how they talk to you. It shows up in what they'll say to you and what they won't say. It shows up when, it, when they don't have a guard over their mouth like they used to. And listen to me, when, when honor is lost, so are the things you're wanting and believing for that are tied to the people you're connected to. Are y'all listening to me? And so <clears throat> this is why he says you, you, you learn these things so that you can apply them to get the benefit. And so when people say things like, well, you know, so-and-so is prospering, I guarantee you, if you made a list of the people that are prospering like crazy that you personally know, I will tell you they're honorable people. Amen. And the ones that are struggling, they're missing it, they can't get it, they go from car accident to car accident, from problem to problem, things are breaking down, things ain't working like they should, they don't have a full supply, their, their mind is always in, in a pressure and, and, and in an attack. When you find those people, I guarantee it. It's because they do not believe, yet they have heard. But they haven't mixed it with faith. <laughs> not sure it got quiet. This is why the Bible says, How shall they call upon him they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? What does that mean? That means your greatest levels of revelation will always come from a higher office. And people think to themselves, well, you know, it's just me and J.C. No, it's not you and J.C. Everybody biblically was put under someone to follow closely. Amen. 
Everybody. There is nobody that came out of the middle of nowhere except for John the Baptist. And he ate uh, grasshoppers, locusts, and honey. And wore uh, animal skin underwear, which sounds very uncomfortable. And that ain't you. Because he was filled with the Holy Ghost from... Come on, y'all. See, and, and anytime God wants to do... Listen, if God wants to bless you, he will connect you with someone who's responsible to bless you. If Satan wants to curse you, he will unhook you from somebody who's there to bless you and turn your source sour. So that you will sit on your own and feel all the isolation you need to feel until you turn inward and implode. It's his weapon. It's the way it works. This is why you can't get upset with what you honor. See, if you have honor for it, you, you, you just talk yourself out of that. <laughs> You're like, there's got to be something I don't see. There's something I don't know. And it's going to stay with me because I'm going to fix it. Because you're not going to take my supply from me. You're not going to strip me of everything down to nothing because I'm not paying attention. I have seen this game. I know how it's played. And I'm not the one. Miss me with all of that. But what I'm trying to get you to see is, this is why I said, how would they hear unless, that's why revelation always comes from a higher office. Always. There is nobody I listen to more than the one who I consider to be my shepherd. Nobody. There is no sermon or person out there on the planet that I listen to more than the one I get my supply from. Will I listen to other people? Sure. But that's like, you know, chew the straw and spit out the sticks. Because I understand divine connections. I understand divine supply. And when you teach these things, because again, this is leadership. This is not talking about your basic needs. This is, that's mercy. When people are like, I'm operating in the grace of God and I'm doing all this by the grace of God and you can barely pay your own bills, you are not in the grace of God. You are in the mercy of God. When you get out of the mercy of God and into the grace of God, you start being able to pay other people's bills. If you're going to tell me that the grace of my God is only able to get you by, you don't know the same God that I know. The God that I know is able to move heaven and earth. The God that I know is able to split the Red Sea. The God that I know can point you in a direction and tell you the money is in the mouth of a fish. The God that I know and so when people think, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting by. God's good to me. Yeah, he's, he's merciful. And thank God for it. Don't get me wrong. I don't, wanna, I, I don't want anybody to feel any type of way. God is merciful. But there's a point where if we're going to go to the next level, we're going to have to mix what we heard by faith. And we've got to learn it ain't too late. But you're going to have to believe it. And this is where some people want to be convinced. This is why, you know, it it, it always amazes me when someone new comes to the church and then they go, oh, I want to talk to the pastor afterwards about his message. I don't want to talk to you. What do I need to talk to you about? Well, I got some things I'm sure. 
Do like everybody else does. Faith cometh by? Hearing, hearing by the? You don't want to do the work. You want somebody to sit here and argue with you. And the Bible has never told me that I have to argue and defend the gospel. All I'm to do is to preach or proclaim the gospel. You make a choice as to what you believe. You make a choice as to whether you'll follow. You make a choice as to whether or not it lines up with the word. But that's your decision to make, not mine to convince you. When you talk to people, you're like, hey, you coming to service Wednesday night? You coming Sunday? You coming? And, and, and as a pastor, you know that what you're about to preach is their answer. You know it. That's why you ask. Or, or you, you know, you, hey, you, you coming to this event or you coming to do this? You know there's something they need. God has already told you. That's why it's a higher office. And I'm, and I'm so amazed how many people say, yeah, you know, Pastor, I, I understand, but I got this to do and I got that to do. Okay, well then, you'll just miss it. Then a week later, they burn it up my assistance line. Hey, uh, I got to meet a pastor. What's wrong? My life is just going upside down. What's wrong? Well, I'm just dealing with the same thing I just preached. So now I got to talk to you like an audience of one. When you should have been where you should have been to hear what you needed to hear so you could get what you needed to get. And now I've got to disrupt my schedule. I don't mind real problems. I, I, I'm available to deal with real problems. But I'm not available to preach a message over again that I just already did. I done told you. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? And so this is where unbelief comes in and makes you unpersuadable. And when a person is unpersuadable, you don't cast your pearls before swine. That's why the Bible says you treat it as a pearl of great price. See, if, if you would learn that every time God reveals something to you, to treat it as a pearl of great price, to value it, thank you, Lord, for showing that to me. And to treat it with esteem, he'll give you more. But when you're unpersuadable, remember we talked about the man whose arm the king leaned on? And like you said, about this time, uh, 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 wheat will be sold for a penny a shekel, basically. A shekel, a pound, or whatever it was. And he said, if, even if the Lord opened up the windows of heaven, how could this possibly be? He was unpersuadable. Yeah. And Elijah responded and said, Elijah responded and said, you will see it but you will not live it or you will not experience it. This is why people look around, they see other people prospering, other people growing, and yet they're sitting on the outside looking in wondering why am I not, why am I not a part of this? Why am I not getting this? Why am I not experiencing this? Why am I not? Because you're unpersuadable. It's not unbelief, it's unpersuadable. Remember when Paul said, I did this ignorantly in unbelief. He said, in other words, I didn't know any better. That's why God had mercy on me. But now that I know better, I'm expected to. Nothing is as worse as the fall of someone who knows better but refuses to do better. To watch them fall is a painful thing. If you have a heart in your body, you, you just, it's hard to watch. Everything being stripped because they just can't get themselves there. And then they'll start thinking, well, God's done this to me. God ain't done a thing to you. The promise is made to everybody, all who will believe. The same blessings on you, 
Why isn't it working for me? Because you are in your own way. God's blessing doesn't stop because you're a jerk. <laughs> it doesn't stop because you're this, that, or the third. You're in, it doesn't. It stops because you won't believe. Are you hearing me? And so now when a person's unpersuadable, this is what I want you to understand. There are certain people in your life, stop trying to feed them what they refuse to take. Because now, remember the Bible says you comfort the feeble-minded. Not counsel. Because some of you got that person in your life that you are constantly trying to pour into to get them up to a place they refuse to go. And now they've demonstrated they don't want it. They're feeble. And if they're feeble, we just comfort them. Every time they call and there's a problem, oh, they're there. It'll be okay. The Lord loves you. So do I. All right, talk to you later. (laughs) Got to go. Bye now. No, because see, some of you, you spend all this time. Then you're frustrated. They done ruined your day. They done transferred their craziness to you. Your day is shot. Your week is shot. And now you're like, how did this happen? Because you've got people that are on assignment. One of the hardest things is to deal with people close to you that are actually on an assignment against you. Jesus had to deal with it. Why don't you think you would? You think you're better than him? Everybody's got a Judas. Woe be unto the person who is a Judas, though. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, in the nature of stubbornness, like, you know, I'll give you a great example. This one, it shouldn't touch too many people with it so you can smile. How many of y'all got that one girlfriend that is like, every time she has a problem with her man, you tell her that he's not the one for her? Everybody knows he's not the one for her, but she refuses. And so every time she wants to call you and talk to you, you, you like, we're going to talk about this dude again. You ain't left Skippy yet. <laughs> See, in, 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 in spiritual guidance, we have a rule. We've got to talk to you more than three times about the same subject. You are not, wish, you are not desiring to change. You are looking for a garbage can. Wow. You're looking for somebody to throw up all over. Because if we have to keep talking to you about the same thing and you don't want to change it, you are not looking to change. You just want somebody to vent to. Well, listen, venting is a sign of a poor prayer life. You want to go vent, talk to the Lord. Leave me alone. Quit burning up my phone before I got to put you on block. And then every time you call, you go straight to voicemail. He sure is busy. Yep. (laughs) Ain't nobody trying to hear all that. No, I I need you to understand, y'all, because that becomes unpersuadable. How many times are we going to keep talking to you? That's why the Bible says God gave them space to figure it out. But remember Thessalonians, he said, if you continue to believe a lie, remember God said, I'll give you over to that. He said, I'll set the lie for you. Now people will die for a lie that God set. Because you refuse to believe. All right, let me, let me, let me, let me help you. 
Pharaoh. Moses comes to Pharaoh. Let my people go. <laughs> Pharaoh's like, I ain't letting them go. He keeps at it. Finally, Pharaoh decides to let the people go, right? Soon as they take all their stuff, as soon as the Israelites take all the stuff from the Egyptians, the Bible says they spoiled them. You know what that means? That means they, they gave them everything they wanted. They took everything they wanted and left. Soon as they left, that anointing lifted. Now they're like, what did we do? And then the Bible says, because his heart was the way it was, God hardened his heart. So now he ain't got a choice but to go into a watery grave. Judas <laughs> had a choice. He wouldn't fix his heart. And Jesus said, the one who drinks this after me is the one who's going to betray me. How did that happen? Just before, it says Satan entered into his heart. He, could, he did not have to die the way that he did. But he did. Because he wouldn't change. Y'all hearing me? So now he ends up with money and a real tight rope around his neck with the money that he never got to spend. <laughs> it's not too late. It's not too late. Don't be stubborn. Don't be the one that's got to be convinced. Nobody's got to convince you. You should believe by faith, just like the rest of us. And, and here's the thing. When you become a leader, you start serving, you're in another level, and you really going to have to believe by faith. Because now you're a target. So <clears throat> let's go to um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. We'll put that in the message Bible. Please. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. What are the three things? Which is to have faith, hope unswervingly, which is to have the right image. The best of the three is. So we got three things we're supposed to do to bring it to the fullness to the completion of what God has for us. Number one, what is trust steadily? Faith. Hope unswervingly, having the right image. And then extravagantly. And he says the best of the three is what? Love. See, if you think about <clears throat> bringing the things in your life to completion, you would begin to see, that's why we had those shirts made that says trust, hope, and love. Because that's everything. When you are beginning to struggle with everything around you, you have lost your hope. You don't have a vision anymore where you're going. And more importantly, 
if you don't have a vision of where you're going, whatever vision you do have, faith will build. I want you to understand, faith is not discriminatory. Please, please get this. People think faith will check you. Faith will not check you. If faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, then faith can come by fear. Yes? Okay, so then why tell you which hearing to follow? If only one hearing could build faith in you. So then that means that whatever it is you believe, faith will build. Faith is not going to stop and go, um, yeah, what you're believing for, that don't line up with God. Faith's not going to do that. Faith's going to go, what are we building today? And you're going to put a blueprint in front of it? Well, I'm a failure. <clears throat> I'm this. I'm no good. I ain't that smart. My feet stink and I don't love Jesus. Faith's going to go, okay, feet stink, don't love Jesus, ain't that smart. Let's go ahead and put that together. This is why God said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, whatever portion of the word of God that I believe will always qualify as faith. So then whatever we have in our lives has been built by our faith, whether we like it or not. So then the biggest issue we have to deal with is contending with our mind to get our mind to get the correct image so that we put the right blueprint in front of our faith and say, this is what I want you to build. When, years ago when I was in real estate, and I, I'm certain, you know, Al probably could correct me, and Austin, if he's there somewhere, could correct me as well. But when I was in real estate, when you did a new construction, brand new construction, where you built it yourself, so to speak, not like, you know, track homes and all that, but where you actually contracted out and built a home custom, <clears throat> they put you on a draw schedule. And so let's say the house was half a million dollars. They gave you, let's say, 150000 first. And then you had to use that 150000 to do certain things, build a foundation, get the lot graded, get services to the house. And then they would come and inspect it. And if you made it according to your blueprint, then they would give you the next portion of money, maybe another 150000 And then you would continue to build according to the spec. And then once that, they would come and inspect that and make sure it meets the plan. And then when it meets the plan, then they would give you the rest of the money. And then they would come back and check and make sure that you built what it is that you had initially proposed. What is it? Psalms 127, verse 1. Uh, put that in the uh, King James, please. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Except the Lord keep the house, city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, and eat the bread of sorrows, for so he has given his beloved sleep. So listen, <clears throat> he says, verse 1, if the Lord, lest the Lord builds the house, he that builds it builds it in vain. Well, here's my problem. If the Lord's going to build it, why do I have to build it? That's what it says, right? 
Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain <clears throat> that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman watcheth but in vain. Vain means you do something that has no effect or no result. It's vanity. In other words, it's it show. So then if the Lord builds it, but I have to labor, then that means the only thing the Lord can do is build it in the Spirit. Then I'm going to have to build it in the natural, which means that we work together now. God gives me the blueprint. I construct with the blueprint he gave me. Here's the problem. Most of you have your own blueprint. And you're wondering why sheer vanity. Because you've never gotten with God and asked him. You got your own plan, how you feel like it should be, what you wanted it to be. I don't appreciate how this went this way. I don't appreciate this. You got your own little thinking. And so you built your own house, one that God didn't build. So now when he comes out to give you your next draw payment, he goes and inspects what you built, and he's like, yeah, this ain't it. Now there's no more money in the till until you fix it. Now there's no more money in the till until you follow his plan. Then Satan's attacking me. Satan ain't attacked you. Oh, the devil be busy. He stay busy, but you didn't trip your own self up. Because you're not building anything close. And then you wonder why there's no provision. You wonder why there's no... And this is why I said, if you're going to watch the house, or you're going to build a house, is that you build it in vain without his plan. He says, you can literally uh, watch the city. He said, but you'll be doing it in vain unless I watch it. Verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, and eat the bread of sorrows. That word sorrow is the same word sorrow when God spoke to Adam and he said, because you sinned against me, he said, in sorrow shall you eat the bread of the land. You know what sorrow is? Toil. You know what toil is? A lot of effort and a very little bit of result. The sign of the anointing is you can do more with less. The sign of the anointing is you can do things in a Genesis speed level. People are just shocked how fast you can get things done, how you can get things handled. When things are taking forever, you're in your own flesh. God created the heaven and earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. You can't get a bill paid in a day? One of the things I learned in business uh, classes is that the, the efficiency of an organization is determined by how fast you can get a check out. If you need to get a check cut, how long does it take through an organization to get that to happen? And you will tell and test the efficiency of an organization, how long that takes. See... <clears throat> He says, you'll eat the bread of sorrows. In other words, you'll eat toil. You'll do a lot. That's why he says, it's vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, eat the bread of sorrows, 
for so he giveth his beloved sleep. And then one translation says he giveth to, to his beloved in his sleep. <laughs> See, people think prosperity is about getting. And remember we used to sing those songs, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. I None of y'all have ever heard that song? If you heard that song, raise your hand. Because y'all stared at me like you glazed over. Okay. So it was a song, and it says, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. Okay, here's the problem. You're still at zero. Think about it. I went to the enemy's camp. Right? I was here. He took some things from me. So I went back to him and got what I had back. I'm still at zero. I'm not going to the enemy's camp to take back what he stole from me. I'm commanding him to take his hands off what he stole from me. And I'm releasing my angels who minister to bring back not only what he stole, but sevenfold even to the substance of his own house. For the Bible says that if a thief be caught and I'm going to continue to build what God has asked me to build because now if I build what he told me to build the way he told me to do it, then now I get an increase. And I'm trying to tell you something. This is why people don't see the surplus. They see just enough. Because they keep going to Satan's camp and taking back what he took. And now we still have square one. The key to prosperity is not to make it. It's to keep it. It's to accumulate. <laughs> See, this is what takes us full circle back to the idea. That it, when you begin to accumulate things, I'm not talking about hoarding. Some of y'all got the same pen you had from 1962. <laughs> Throw that pen away. Unless it's a Mont Blanc and then it's worth something. But if it's a Bic that you've had from 1962, get rid of it. You know it don't write anymore. I'm not talking about hoarding. I'm talking about accumulation. Because that's what Satan fights. He fights you from accumulating. Because if he knows you, if you accumulate anything, he knows now you're available. You wonder why God ain't talking about big things. You don't have big things. What, what's there to talk about? Who's ever borrowed money from a homeless person? Don't worry, I'll wait. Well, I don't understand why God... Won't talk to me and use me, use me, Lord. You ain't available. Work's more important. You'll skip church in a minute. You'll take a job that'll get you out of church in a minute. Think nothing of it. I just wish God would use me. To do what? You got to be there. <laughs> oh, I just... I want to be available for kingdom purposes. 
So then God comes to you and says what? Hey, that extra car you don't have? I need you to imaginarily sow it to somebody. Y'all picking up what I'm throwing down? So let's go to... uh, Psalms 8. eight uh, verse 3, please. The, the revelation level of where people are sometimes is, is a very difficult thing. Um, don't get me wrong. There are people that are very narcissistic. In other words, they have their own, they think they're more inflated in their own mind. Uh, and, and usually this comes, the longer they've been around, the more familiar they get, the more inflated they become. And they start thinking, they start believing their own press. Oh, I'm a prophet too, and God speaks to me, and we know how that turned out for uh, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. So usually you don't spend a lot of time jacking folks up, typically. However, what I have noticed in the body of Christ, those that are serious about the things of God, you usually have to jack them up. In other words, you've got to bring them up higher than where their revelation is because they don't really see themselves the way they should. And usually that's a sign that they're called, to be honest with you. The... the um, People who are very arrogant about who they are usually aren't very well called. But the ones who struggle, because people say, you know, when, when I preach, they're like, you know, you just seem like it's so effortless. Do you have any idea the level of butterflies and, and anxiety I deal with before I come out and preach? You have no idea. Because I'm like, what do I have to say? Why would anybody want to hear what I got to say? I don't know a thing. I'm still trying to figure it out. And why, Lord? There's plenty of other people. Yeah, me. What I am clear about is who I am in Christ. I have no confidence in me, but I have all confidence in God. Now, I want you to understand something, because this is why I said all that to say this. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. Ordained means to set and organize. In other words, Uh, When you came in here, the ushers ordained you. They set you in certain places. They set it. That's what ordained means. Keep going. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Keep going. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Now, There's a problem here with translation, and I'm going to tell you what it is. The word angels is not angels, it's Elohim, which means he's saying you placed man just a little below you. Because a lot of people think angels are above you. They're not. Have you ever noticed that every time an angel appeared onto somebody, they would fall? 
and the angel would say, stand up. Angels don't receive worship. This is why some of our denominational brothers and sisters who worship angels, you have never seen an angel receive worship. They will always say, rise to your feet. Because the angels are ministering spirits to you. So if they are serving you, how do you? So what he's saying is, for thou has made him a little lower than you. And you crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his under his all sheep, oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. So then you have been crowned with glory and honor. He says, what is it about man that you visit him? Think about this. We as angels got to come to your throne. He said, but you actually come to visit them. He said, what is it about these, you know, two-legged... You make us come to your throne, but you actually get off of your throne and come to them. What is it about these people that you have crowned them with goodness and mercy? What is it about these people that you have crowned them with honor? What is it about these individuals that you love them so much that you gave your only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life? What is it about these creatures that you created that you have set them over the works of your hands that you have given them dominion over every single thing that creepeth across the earth. What is it about these creatures that you love them so much that you don't make them come to you? You actually go to them. What is it about these people that you would do so much for them? And, and you got the nerve to have an image that don't even make sense. You got an image that God's probably like, where'd you get that from? Listen, if, if what God is doing in you doesn't scare you, it is likely insulting to him. It ought to scare you. You ought to be like, um, for real? Yeah. Um, who? You. Me, you. I am you. You are me. Yeah, you. Why do you think that's so important? No. Because it affects your image. It affects what you can dare to believe him for. It affects what your vision is, what you can see, what you can hook up to. Hebrews uh, chapter 2. Verse 
verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak? But in one certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, the son of man, that thou visitest him? Thou made him a little lower than Elohim. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But uh, now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Was Jesus placed under angels? So an angels can't mean... Remember, Jesus could command the angels. Remember, Satan said, if you could do this, then command the angels to do that. And he said, I... He said, I'm not going to do that. He said, but I know one thing. If you throw me off this cliff, the angels will catch me. Who's working for who? You better get it. You better get it. This is, and see, this, this is what I'm talking about. When, when you, you have to believe. <clears throat> Your experiences will be based on what you believe. How, how, how dare you think some of the crazy stuff you think? When God visits you. You mean that much to him. That he visits you. He don't make you come to the throne. He seats you at the throne. With Jesus. That's why the Bible says he made us sit together. In heavenly places. He gave you a spot. Not in a baby chair. Because some of you think you're sitting next to Jesus, sitting next to God. And he didn't say that. He said he made you sit together. You know what sitting together means? Anybody, anybody have more than one kid? And you make them sit together? <laughs> Undoubtedly, what starts happening? Why? Because you're too close. You're not in a baby chair. You are seated with Christ. You are seated in Christ. That's why you're called a Christian, a baby, or a Christ you are. In other words, you're a Christian. You're a baby Christ. You're a little Christ. That's what a Christian is. So therefore, you are seated in heavenly places. Quit acting like... Because see, God wants to see... God wants his glory to be seen in this church. And this is why we have very little influence in the world. You thought it was Satan. <clears throat> Do you ever wonder why things are happening the way they're happening? Why such a small segment of the population can dictate just about everything that happens? They're unified. They believe. They've got a vision of what their world looks like. And then they take their vision of their world and put it on television. So you'll sit there for eight hours a day watching it. And then faith cometh by. Then all of a sudden, your image begins to change because you keep seeing their image. Because they've learned. 
that if I want to influence you, I've got to give you a different image. All right. <clears throat> um, let me take it one more spot. And then we'll close. I'm never, per se, out of word, but I'm getting close to being out of time. Romans 5.17. Let's put it into King James. And then after we do that, I want to go to the NIV after I read this one. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So if one man's offense, death reigned. Now remember, <clears throat> the one man's office, offense he's talking about is Adam, right? Adam offended God, sinned against God, um, and then it says that death reigned. Now, the important part about that is this. Remember when Job said, these are the things I went through and all these problems Job had? Okay, you ever hear somebody say, I'm going through a Job trial? You can't go through a Job trial unless you choose to. Because the Bible says death reigned. In other words, the reason why Job went through what he went through was because death was reigning. You know what rain means? Not <laughs> out came the rain and washed the spider out. That's not the rain he's talking about. He's talking about death had the power to be in charge and do what it wanted to do. So when you look at Job, Job is in a dispensation of time where death was reigning. So therefore, to have a Job experience, you have to live in a season where death reigns. Which you do not, because it says very clearly, For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man who... So how can you reign and let death reign at the same time? You ever watch like the old school Godzilla movies? And, the one, and, and there's always that one creature got two heads. And it'd be fighting with itself and fighting. It'd be snapping at itself and everything else. You want to know why? Because it's got two heads. Death can't reign while you're reigning. And you can't reign... While death is reigning. So then when you deal with me, and I'm telling you, I understand my position, that God visits me. That he made me a little lower than him. That angels respond to my command as long as my command lines up with the word. Then he tells me that I have the ability to reign in life through Jesus Christ. So that my belief in him causes me to be able to reign in life. That everything I need pertaining to life and godliness is under the auspices of my mouth. 
And whatever it is that I say, then I release and decree a thing into this world. It has to begin to move. Angels begin to respond. Things start to happen. Not because I'm so great, but he counted me as righteous. He called me righteous. I am as filthy rags, but God saw me that way. And when he counted me, he said, you are this. You didn't earn this. You are this. This is a gift that I'm giving to you, to my beloved children, to call you out of darkness and transport you into the kingdom of light, that you might have the ability to speak those things that are not as though they are and watch things move, watch things change, because I've been given position in the kingdom. God don't make junk. not too late <laughs> he said the reason why they didn't enter in couldn't mix it with faith they heard it but just couldn't get there with a leaning of their whole personality see because that's see that that's what a lot of people struggle with their personality we just understand i'm just i'm just different you better get undifferent that's just not my way. I'm, I'm just not that expressive. You better get expressive. <laughs> well, you understand. I don't learn that way. You better start learning that way. Because the problem is once you have exalted your, your personality above God. Look at, look at Acts real quick. Let me just, I'm done. I promise. Acts chapter 7 verse 49. I really am done. Somebody keeps pulling, so I keep answering. That's how the Holy Ghost works. He just wants to answer certain things. Heaven is, heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? In other words, I'm in heaven. I rest my feet on earth. What house could you possibly build for me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Have not my hand made all these things? This is the beautiful part right here. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, and so do you. He called them stiff-necked and uncircumcised. You know what uncircumcised means? You won't cut away your flesh. If you remember, when they were going into the promised land, they stopped at Gilgal. And God said, before y'all go into the promised land, I need you to circumcise all the men. Ouch. But what, why did he need them to be circumcised? Because there's certain parts of you that can't go into the promised land. And when you stuck on your person, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just a different type of personality. One of the things I love about Al, I'm going to pick on him for a minute. Yeah, one of the things. It's one of the things, just one of them. There's a lot of things. There's just one of them. My personality is very different than his. Al, no matter what you do, will love you till the wheels fall off. He just will. He's just his personality. 
So when it's time to snap a cord, he is not the guy I'll talk to. <clears throat> Joe will snap a cord in a minute. But what I want you to understand is this. So I have to rein him in a lot. And I got to move him out the way a lot. But they both stay connected. Even though we have different personalities. Because he understands you got to have court snapping. Anything with no balance gets off in there. I have to rein him in. Anything with no balance but because they stay connected, they learn the other piece. And they don't allow the difference to see, because prejudice allows the differences to be amplified to allow you to separate because you're different. That is the very root of prejudiced people. But when you have people in your life that are different than you, and God connected you, there's a reason for that. It's because your way is not the right way. This is why your personality should never drive you. Because if your personality drives you, Satan plays to that. See, nobody understands you. You're just different. God understands. No, you, you think God brought you here? Because here, here's, here's one of the things. You know, people say, well, you know, sometimes, Pastor, you can be rough. I know. So stop calling me when you get in trouble then. Because you want the lion when you're in trouble and want me to handle it. But then when I got to bring correction to you, you want the lamb. But as long as I'm fighting for you, come on, Pastor. Yeah, tell him. <laughs> like I'm supposed to be used by you your arrogant self. <laughs> Love y'all. See, one thing I can tell you is this. If I'm on your side, I'm old school. If I'm on your side, we're going down together. It's just that simple. We're going to rock it till the wheels fall off. You know, some people, they witch you until bullets start flying. <laughs> they witch you until somebody throws a punch. Then they go, oh, well, you know, what happened was, Pastor, I, I had a little thing at home I had to go tend to. And so, but I got you next time. <laughs> no, man, if I'm on your side, we're we, we going to get it. There ain't no... <laughs> This is why he says you're uncircumcised. You won't cut off your flesh. And your flesh will always lead you to ruin. And you know what I'm amazed about is how people will make decisions and they feel what they think is a piece of God. Hmm. Whew, the pressure's off. Yeah, the pressure's off because you're no longer a threat. Not because you made the right decision, but because you're no longer a threat to Satan. They're like, whew. Satan's like, we got him out of there. They're done. They're gone. All right, now listen. Come on, y'all. Let's go attack somebody else because they're useless. 
We don't need to keep attacking them. And they think the absence of pressure is the presence of peace. Because they still have not learned. Jesus said, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives it. He said, but I give you my peace. You know what that means? That means in the midst of my worst attack, I can still have peace. When everything is going to hell around me, I can still have peace. When the boat seems like it's about to sink, I can still have peace. When everybody's asking me, why are you not freaking out? Don't you see what's going on? How could you be so calm? I still got peace. Why? Because the world didn't give me my peace. That means the world can't take my peace. I can be in the midst of all hell breaking loose and still maintain my cool and be cooler than a fan why because I trust that my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ask or think and that at any point in time he is always my help in a time of trouble he has not left me here forsaken but he left me with the Holy Ghost he left me with angels that are here to protect and to guard and to serve he left me with every tool he left me with the sound of my voice that I could decree and declare whatever is necessary I am not a victim I'm a victor I am more than an overcomer through him I have the ability to be a vessel by which his power runs through me I ain't scared not a lick we have to realize when you get your personality out the way because can I tell you something my personality is I want to live in a cave I ain't kidding I want to live in a cave with my babies. They can wear banana leaves. We can eat coconut and mashed fish and cave, my family, and my books, and I'm good. On the beach. On the beach. On the beach. On the beach. That was the Lord. That was an unction right there. You have to begin to understand when your personality gets in your way, when it starts tripping you up. That's why I said they couldn't trust him with the entire leaning of their whole personality. There was parts of them that just couldn't get there because their parts were too important. But when you circumcise that stuff, you cut it off and say, you know what, I forget my personality. My personality don't work. I done been what I've been and it don't pay too well. I need to get rid of this. But see, that's an arrogance that keeps people from making that decision. But there's a moment where you're broken. And I'm telling you, you listen to me. If you hear anything I'm saying, I know it's, it's, it's late. So I promise you, I'm really trying to be done. But if one of y'all, I don't know who it is, but you can blame that person. <laughs> listen to me, y'all. Please hear me. You would be better off if you would break yourself. That's why the Bible says judge yourself. Become sick, weak, and die. Sick or weak. It's sick, weak, and die, but it's weak is the process. Weak, sick, then die. He said you're better off to judge yourself. You want to know why? Because if you break yourself, it's a lot more comfortable than when God's going to have to break you to put you back together. Because if you won't let go of you, he will have his way. Better is the end of the thing than the beginning. And I'm telling you from somebody who is not telling you what they heard, I'm telling you what I lived. I will never want to be broken 
by him again. It is better to judge yourself <laughs> and make the adjustments yourself than it is to find yourself on a downward spiral. I've been there. It hurts. It's not comfortable. <laughs> but if you can't get out your own way, and, 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 and here's the thing, if you're sitting here right now thinking I'm not talking to you, I am. I assure you I am. And if you're like, well, exactly who? I don't know because these lights are so bright. It's hard for me to even see beyond the first row. But I guarantee you, I'm talking to you. Because there are areas we have to judge for ourselves. And if we do, the Bible says you won't be for this cause. Many are sick, weak, and some die, not discerning the Lord's body for this cause. You better learn something. Satan can't touch you without a cause. Satan can't touch you without a cause. He is not, he does not have permission to touch you without a cause. That's why he went to God and said, God, Job, you protect him. God said, Job's a righteous man. He gets protection because of how he acts. He says, have you tried him yet? In other words, I know you're going, so go ahead. He'll come out in the end the way I need him to. He's a righteous man. Satan had to ask. Quit thinking Satan can do whatever he wants to do in your life. He can't. That's why he walketh about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. Who he may destroy. He doesn't have a right to your life. He doesn't have a right to your children. doesn't have a right to your stuff. doesn't have a right to your home. doesn't have a right to anything. He's a defeated foe. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. Not his. He owns the world's system. So the only way he can come to you is if there's a cause. <laughs> Still time. Still time. All right, y'all. Somebody got it, right? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We're so grateful for the things that you pull back to cover on, Father. We thank you that you reveal those deeper things unto us as we desire them. Uh, your word says that when we walk in what we have, we qualify for more. Father, we thank you for utterance, for we know utterance is greatly affected by the hearers. And we suspect and know that those who needed to hear have heard. And they have gotten the answers that they came to get. Father, we thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Love you guys.